Mighty Ape is Australia's entertainment and pop culture superstore. With everything from movies, music, games, toys, books, hobbies and more, Mighty Ape is your one-stop shop for the things that matter most. They constantly have hot deals and exclusive promos. And if you visit their website on the click-through banner on fakechef.net's homepage, then your purchase will help support Good Movie Monday. Mighty Ape, Australia's entertainment and pop culture superstore. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Morning. Good morning. Good morning. You mean to wish me a good morning? What do you mean that it is a good morning whether I want it or not? Please go away. Let me speak for the love of God. <laughs> what a banger. Did you want to sing the chorus? No. <laughs> No. Did we ever? Did we ever find out what it was that he won't do? Uh, I think whatever it is happens by the dashboard light. <laughs> dashboard light. I'm not exactly sure. Well, arguably one of our. It's where he sees paradise. Uh, he sees paradise while he's doing whatever it is. While argu- he's not doing whatever. Arguably it is. one of rock's uh, great power ballads right there. Um, but that's more of a rammed up orchestral instrumental version in lieu of the real thing just to skirt around those copyright issues (laughs) again. Um, Anyway, welcome to another week of Good Movie Monday, everybody. Thanks for joining us for yet another fun-filled episode. The show is presented by Fakeshemp.net, home of the nerdy cinematic ramblings. My name is Glenn Cochran, and I am definitely a Meatloaf from Spice World fan, where he plays Dennis. Uh, And right in shotgun with me, as he does every week, is Ben Helwig, who I can assume is a bitch tits from Fight Club type of Meatloaf fan. (laughs) Hey, mate. <laughs> I've modelled my entire uh, physical appearance after six tits from Fight Club. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> well, the reason that we're playing this music uh, on this week's show is because we're talking about biographical films, i.e., biopics. That song is the masterpiece that is from Meatloaf to Helen Back. That's uh, a larger than life telly movie from 2000. Um, so accurate is that Meatloaf story that the song that we just heard in the final scene of the film is not actually the song they played in the event it's depicting. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so integrity, integrity, integrity. Do they cover in that movie? Do they cover uh, when Meatloaf came and sang at the grand final and it was a horrifying mess? Wait for this. You are, you all know the Meatloaf story that needs to be told. It's the AFL grand final. <laughs> <laughs> completely preempted me. <laughs> One of the highlights of Australian sporting history, I reckon. Like almost as good as when, uh, uh, what's his name from Rose Tattoo? Uh, <laughs> Gary Anderson. Andrew, Andrew, Andrew Anderson, Anderson did it. In the Batmobile. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that means nothing to most people. No. But um, look, you know, that if they were to make that meatloaf story of the grand final, I, I kind of envision it like a Larry Sanders show type of thing. <laughs> <laughs> like the games, yeah. <laughs> Uh, 
uh, it would be remiss of me uh, to forget about those who support the show, so to whom we are very grateful. Four Pillars Gin, Eagle Entertainment, Umbrella Entertainment, Lunar Driving, and Astor Theatre. And hey, while we're at it, uh, if you would like to support the show, be it financially or with contributions and prize giveaways, then please reach out to us at contact at fakeshemp.net. We would love to shake your hands. You can also uh, follow us on Letterboxd. We have just started a, an account there, and we list every fi- every film <laughs> that randomly gets mentioned on the show, just in case you miss it and want to go back and track some of those down and add them to your uh, watch list. I think so, we're... so this week that means you can catch Meatloaf to Helen back. <laughs> Indeed. And tidy work, mate. That was like I, yeah. I went and visited our little letterbox. Letterbox means nothing to me to everyone that's listening. I don't use it. Um, it's a great. It's a great service, primarily for listing what you've seen. Yeah. Like if you're like me and have like the memory of a goldfish <laughs> and can't remember the movie you just watched like minutes after you've watched it, then uh, letterbox is the place to go. So we where it's just good movie one day one word. So just hit that in the search and. Uh, you will find us. Fantastic. Um, well, anyway, that is our introduction. Now, keep listening because we've got a show chock-a-block full of goodness. Segments from Jared Garn from Monster Fest, Guillermo Troncoso from Screen Realm, Adam Ross from Triple M and Ticker, and the three guys from Bonehead Weekly, Joe, Chad, and James. Uh, they'll all be adding their pinch of spice to the show with their regular segments, plus uh, two songs that will either have you um, singing along or skipping through. So, <laughs> let's get started. <laughs> All right, Ben, so same rules as most weeks. Uh, I think maybe two films each to kick things off. I've got two questions for you first. Firstly, how would you define a biopic as opposed to a true story? Well, I mean, look, I think that the lines are pretty close, but generally I think a biopic is about an individual person rather than a, a story, Good. like an event. Okay. Good. Uh, second question, will you be covering Crazy Sexy Cool, the TLC story? That was on my list. It was on my list. I also I also had the Britney Spears movie on my list uh, mm. to potentially cover, and Selena, starring J Lo, which I like was seemed to be a massive deal of a film that I never saw, and I tried watching it for the show, and I could not get through it due to a complete lack of interest. Well, that distinction between the two is a very tricky thing because I type in biopic into Google and you get stuff like Bombshell and like Ford versus Ferrari and even Hacksaw Ridge came up and it's like, you know, where do you draw that line, you know? Well, I guess, I mean, Hacksaw Ridge is kind of, is about the dude, right? That's true. They've named it after the event, but it's actually about the guy. <laughs> Please, Law, <Yeah. laughs> let me get one more. <laughs> Well, anyway, ridiculous film. I don't care which way this goes. We'll we'll just yeah. we'll just throw out what Who we cares? think of biopics. All right, my first biopic off the rank, um, and it's the weirdest I think of uh, the ones I'm going to talk about. So it's a Canadian okay. film from 1993, and it's called 32 Short Films About Glenn Gould. I can't believe it. That's what I was going to do. No, just kidding. <laughs> it stars uh, Colm Fior, who I love. He's a fantastic He's actor. He's great. I like him. He usually plays bad guys in things, which I love. He does. Uh, it was directed by Francois Girard, who directed Boy Choir, Red Violin and Silk. He's a very period piece kind of filmmaker. And it was written by him and Don McKellar, famous Canadian actor from Roadkill yeah. and Existence. Amongst other things. Um, look, this is a great one. This is a film I got into when I lived in Canada and it depicts a, a, a 
a Canadian classical pianist. It's very much like Shine, but the difference is how it's told. So it's the he film, wears his pants a lot more. The film, the film, <laughs> the film is broken into thirty-two short films, uh, right. and each one depicting pivotal moments throughout his life. Uh, but they're told differently. Some of them are documentary. Some are actually like um, dramatizations. Some are animation, um, and just beautiful and it's being called like 32 impressions of the man himself is it like that uh you know, what was that movie with about um oh god what's his name the country the folk singer tom hetty not tom hetty mm. the other guy from the traveling book bob dylan. bob dylan the one about bob dylan where it's all different actors playing not really bob but dylan I, through different periods of his it's life it's kind of the same in that its structure is sort of you know all over the place and right. Uh, I think this one's a little more uh, fluent in the just the the trajectory of young to old is still the same. Is it the same guy playing it all the way through? Um, well, Colm Fjord plays him for most of the film, right. but the, obviously some of his childhood stuff. You've got a little kid Ooh. in there. And, you know. Is it like Explosion at the Wig Factory, where <laughs> he like to show his different ages? He's got different wigs on because he's because Colm Fjord is like yeah one of my favorite bald actors. Well, back then he was receding. Receding. Right. Yeah. Um, anyway. Uh, the the reason it's called 32 short films other than the fact that they are 32 stories is because it, it reflects the Goldberg Variations which is a famous piece of Bach music um, with 32 short musical pieces that make up the greater body of work and that is what Glenn Gould was most famous for playing. Right. So it's a very weird film. I was going to say, it sounds about as boring as Aria, <laughs> that Robert Altman movie about the well, Aria, you, except it had Liz Hurley's boobies in it. You could argue it's a very boring film. I tend to like a no, lot of... No, you like it. No, like it, no, it doesn't sound... It doesn't sound no, I, it, but you know, some would it definitely... Yeah, it does sound boring. But you know, I like, like it a lot. I've watched it many times. I actually wrote an article for um, about it at Screen Realm um, a few years ago, so you can go back and look that up, I guess. It's, um, it's on Google Play and YouTube, but I highly recommend it. I think I've spoken enough about that. Well, unless you want me to redo it 32 times. <laughs> yeah, do the, do, the, do the review 32 times, please. Uh, look, <laughs> I am going to talk uh, first about The Gathering Storm, which is a made-for-TV movie produced by those great folk at HBO uh, in 2002, uh, directed, funnily enough, by Richard Longcrane, <laughs> who... Uh, uh, it was responsible for Richard III with the Siri McKellen and the tennis classic <laughs> Wimbledon, which uh, I talked about last week. Um, that tournament movie, that that, that, yeah, that that famous fight tournament film that I discussed last week. He also did uh, Firewall, which I only found out today. Harrison, Harrison Ford, Ford and Paul Bettany again. Jeez. Um, and he did the special relationship. So he does a lot of these kind of political ones, yeah. funnily enough. Um now, this movie kind of depicts the period of time uh, in Britain just before World War Two, mm. uh, where the then kind of Stanley government were willfully ignoring Germany's armament, right? Like, and trying to do whatever they could, including doing things like selling the Germans airplane engines and stuff, okay, to avoid conflict, to mm. avoid war. Um, and the only person who kind of, well, the only he's not the only person; he's the only person in parliament who thought that uh, something wasn't quite right and was vocally against it was uh, Winston Churchill. Yeah, right. And in this case, uh, Winston Churchill is played by Albert Finney, who, funnily enough, who I used to dislike mm. vehemently, yeah, and, right. but has recently like he started to real become like one of my favourite British actors. I, look, I, I haven't seen the film, but I know the image of him as Churchill. As yeah, Churchill, for yeah. sure. And there's, I mean, there's a surprising amount of nudity 
Excellent. Uh, oh, Winston Churchill nudity in this film. And it does... It Was does, he slapping dollars, you know? He's, he's making it rain. Uh, mainly for Vanessa Redgrave, who plays his wife. Uh, um, but this... Uh, and it does show him to be a kind of a complex character. Like, a, like he was very anti... Uh, um, allowing India to 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 become to to kind of um, give in to Gandhi and yeah, not become part of the sure that was the end of British colonial power and mm. should be fought at all costs and stuff like that. So he's not kind of like not a uh, you know the hero mm. like a modern hero that uh, you know re- that is required that you know that is required these days. But yep. um, you know, uh, it's great. It's. Uh, so I mentioned Vanessa Redgrave is in it. Jim Bro- it's like a massive UK cast. Who's who? It's a who's who. Who's Jim who Broadway. from Notting Hill or Bridget yeah. Jones? <laughs> Funnily enough, no one from Bridget Jones. Oh. oh, no, no. I don't think so, actually. So Vanessa Redgrave, wasn't Jim she, Broadbent. Wasn't Jim Broadbent in Bridget Jones? I thought it was another guy. Oh, no, he, is he the, the, the dad, dad? The hopeless dad. Yeah, yeah right, he is too. Uh, Linus Roach was not in it. Uh, <laughs> Tom Wilkinson, <laughs> Lena Headey. Wow. Uh, Derek Jacobi, Hugh Bonneville, Celia Imrie, who's in a lot of Hugh Bonnehill, the Long Crane uh, uh, movies. Yes, Tom Hidd- and a very young uh, Tom Hiddleston. Wow, uh, pops up as uh, uh, Churchill's son, and it is not. While it's not the last mm. appearance in film, uh, it's very close to the last appearance in film by Roddy Barker. Oh wow! Who turns up as Inches the Butler, who's great. Um, <laughs> Does he wear like really thick glasses? He does actually, and he's <laughs> and he, you can tell that he's kind of getting old because he's starting to shrink inside his into his own body. Like yeah. his his ears are bigger than the rest of his head, and yep. you know that kind of stuff. And it's like um, it's it's super interesting because it's like he's the butler in this one, and it, this is all set around exactly the same time as uh, Remains of the Day, where Anthony yeah. Hopkins plays the butler of the British Lord who is secretly a, a Nazi sympathizer. Now there's um, a film. Ooh. Yeah, what a great film. Um, What's this called again? The Gathering Storm. The Gathering Storm, yes. I know the title. Um, yeah, I need to watch it. I haven't seen it. And I do enjoy films like that. Is there anything else you want to add there? Nope. Excellent. Well, I'm going to keep my next one really brief. <laughs> this one's from 1997. It's Howard Stern's Private Parts, and um, which is the biographical comedy about Howard Stern himself, directed by Betty Thomas, who did the Brady Bunch movie. So, you know, there's cred right there. Uh, produced by Ivan Reitman. Um, Genius. <laughs> yeah, genius. <laughs> genius. Um, based on the autobiography, as I said, it's hysterical. It's, it sort of goes from his college years through to his, you know, infamous radio, syndicated radio show. Um, and it came at a time, I think, when, you know, well, obviously his work, but also this film came at a time where you could still be edgy and socially incorrect, you know. You didn't have to pander to any particular type or mob. And, um, and dude, he was like the grandmaster of incorrect back then. Like the Howard Stern yeah. we know now is not the Howard Stern from back then. And uh, it, this cast is amazing. It has Paul Giamatti, Edie Falco, very young Sarah Highlanders in it too. You know, oh, right. From Modern Family. Uh, but the cameos are where it's at because you've got David Letterman, uh, Dee Snyder, John Stamos, Flavor Flav, <clears throat> Mia Farrow, uh, <laughs> ACDC, Ted Nugent slash MC Hammer, Ozzy Osbourne. It just keeps going on, man. So not only would I call it a Stone Cold classic, but it's a movie with flavor. <laughs> Literally. Yeah. Is is this the only time in a biopic where <laughs> the person that the biopic is about has played himself in it? Quite possibly. And it's hilarious that he does too. He does. And like he, like he with zero shame, plays his younger self. And he just puts like, a bigger wig on for the young scenes. Yeah. <laughs> 
I love it. It's a great film. Like it's just it's one of those films that's forgotten and and I watched it not too long ago and it really holds up. Particularly when, you know, you some of us crave a little bit of political incorrectness, you know. It's it's a nice one to go back to. Indeed. It's um, a great film. All right, what do you got next? Uh, well, I'm going to talk about, uh, again, from the biopic stable of HBO, uh, I'm going to talk about 1999's RKO 281. Wow, Liev Schreiber. Liev Schreiber, produced by Ridley Scott uh, and directed by Benjamin Ross, who had previously directed the uh, Young Poisoner's Handbook. Uh, the film does indeed star Liev Schreiber as Orson Welles, and it basically charts the making of and release of Citizen Kane. Uh, Which last week got debunked from Rotten Tomatoes as the greatest film of all time. Oh, did it really? By Paddington 2. <laughs> that makes 100% sense. Did you hear the story behind that though? N- no. So what happened is like, because it had the perfect score on Rotten Tomatoes and it had like, you know, obviously the best score out of all the films that it has on that website, but somebody unearthed a review from the 1940s that was really negative and digitized it and put it online and it bumped, like put on Rotten Tomatoes and it bumped Citizen bumped Kane off the top. Amazing. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. I'm not surprised considering, you know, <laughs> the, the kind of story behind it. So, um, and look, this is, it, it is it, like, this is a hotly kind of debated film. Yeah. Because people like um, Peter Bogdanovich, who was a friend of Orson Welles and a lot of other kind of film historians and Welles fans kind of say that it's, it's this hot, the movie is based on a fallacy. Yeah. Um, because basically, this movie suggests that the character of of um, uh, Charles Foster Kane is based on William Randolph Hearst. Correct. Who, at the time, is basically like Rupert Murdoch times 10. Sure, yep. Like, he owned 30 newspapers across the United States and pretty much controlled the media. Indeed. Um, and Wells met him at a party with Mankiewicz, and they had a bit of a to-do, and they, so he decided to... Uh, you know, write a movie on this as depicted in Mank recently. As <clears throat> yeah, which and to my mind, this movie is a lot more entertaining than Mank. It definitely and a lot is. more cinematic than Mank. Mm. Uh, a lot more fun. I enjoyed Mank, but I must admit, my mind kept going back to RKO. Like I yeah. just, you know, for some reason, like I did keep thinking about that and how much I enjoyed that as like a eighteen-year-old or however old I was. Yeah, getting into film and as a bit of an education. Anyway, sorry. Uh, and you know, funnily enough, this film was. Uh, despite the fact that it's set in like the heart, the very heart of Hollywood, it was for the most part shot in London, yeah. which explains why, aside from uh, Schreiber and John Malkovich as 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 Mank, uh, Roy Schneider as the head of RKO, James Cromwell as Hearst, and Melanie Griffiths, mm. who, in my mind, is way too old to be playing Marion Davis, who was like <laughs> a, like a char- like a Charlie Chaplin uh, victim kind of child yep. star. Um, everyone else in it are British, like, and they're all doing American accents sure. with varying degrees of success. <laughs> uh, and these include Liam Cunningham, who cannot disguise his Irish accent, <laughs> uh, David Suchet, who's more famous for playing Poirot, uh, Brenda Blevlin, Fiona Shaw, and Roger Allen yep. from uh, from Endeavour. It's funny that you said that uh, Cromwell played Hearst yeah. because Charles Dance played him in Mank, right, and. Kind of got a similarity about them, those two. Like they you know. do indeed. I, although I think that uh, Cromwell is probably a foot taller. All oh, right, he's also <laughs> like, a, he's also a nerd. He's, yeah, he's <laughs> a nerd. Yeah, uh, <laughs> like that is it is an amazing thing because Lee Schreiber seems to be like just under. I don't think James Cromwell. He's 
like, must be like six five, six six, <laughs> something outrageous like that. And Liv Schreiber is just under that. Yeah. But even but Malkovich is quite tall. Mm. Like they're you know, and they're, everyone else is like Roy Schneider and stuff. They come up to their shoulders. I'm thrilled that you picked that. I've forgotten all about that film, other other than when I watched Mac, of course. But like you know, for this particular episode, it didn't cross my mind. But, uh, I tried to pick. I tried to go, uh, like pick four directions of biopics. Yeah, like right. Do one, do one uh, political one. Do one uh, <laughs> film based one. Do one sport one, and do uh, one music one. Did, it did not go to play. Did you factor in whether people can actually access these easily? Uh, <laughs> where, can, <didn't> you? <laughs> where can you find... I mean, look, I, I do know that RKO281 is available online somewhere. Yeah, it's probably on um, YouTube in full. Yeah, The yeah. Gathering Storm. They've, they've been... Either that or they've been released on... Funnily cool. enough, they've been released... It's probably on Amazon Prime or something yeah, like that. They've been sure. released in, in HD... Excellent. I have seen Blu-rays floating around, so you can get a hold of them. All right, cool. All right, well, moving on. Um, are you wondering what movies are coming out on Blu-ray, DVD, and 4K next week? Perhaps in Dolby Atmos? I only care about the ones with Dolby Atmos. Well, here's Jarrett with the goods. Hey, this is Jarrett, and welcome to PE Class. Now, I'm going to kick off this week's segment with a little bit of news, and that is that the three-time Oscar-winner Nomadland is headed to home entertainment locally on May 18th, courtesy of Disney and whatever they want to call Fox these days, 20th Century, Searchlight Pictures. In any case, it's coming out on Blu-ray and DVD, and the Blu-ray will have special features. In fact, there's a featurette, a couple deleted scenes, and a Q&A. Sadly, it's not getting released on 4K Ultra HD, but that's okay because it's not getting released anywhere globally on 4K Ultra HD at this point in time. Then moving on, Universal Sony Pictures Home Entertainment will release the recent theatrical release, The Unholy, on Home Entertainment on June 16th. Now, this one stars Jeffrey Dean Morgan, and you'll be forgiven if you haven't heard of it because they basically put no money into marketing the movie. It's coming out on Blu-ray and DVD, so keep an eye out for that one on June 16th. Then finally... Going back to my segment last week where I mentioned Basic Instinct was getting a release in the UK in June, well as predicted it has been announced for a local release for July 7th and it will be available on 4K Ultra HD, Blu-ray and DVD and will carry across all the aforementioned special features I mentioned last week on these very discs, so very exciting. Moving on to this week's new releases, now there's only two distributors releasing movies on home entertainment this week and I'll kick it off with Madman Entertainment as they've only got the one movie coming out on Blu-ray and DVD. And that's the Aussie feature High Ground, but it's great that it is actually getting a Blu-ray release. Then Umbrella Entertainment have an impressive slate of releases this week that includes Synchronic. It's coming out on Blu-ray and DVD. This is the latest feature from Aaron Moorhead and Justin Benson, the duo responsible for The Endless in Spring. Now this is easily their most accessible film yet, and it even has known cast in it. It's got Jamie Dorn and Andrew Mackey. We played it at Monster Fest last year and the crowd went wild. Umbrella are actually going to town on this release and have loaded it full of special features. It's got a commentary track, it's got three featurettes, deleted scene, alternate ending, trailer, and even the Blu-ray has alternate art. It's really cool, illustrated, sort of surrealist art to it, so I'll be definitely picking that one up myself. And recent Oscar winner Another Round is coming out on Blu-ray and DVD, and the Blu-ray will have an interview and trailer as bonus features. Then, coming out for the first time on Blu-ray globally, is the 2007 Aussie croc feature Blackwater. That's right, it's coming out on Blu-ray. It's also coming out on DVD, and it's got a bunch of special features on there. You've got a commentary track, you've got a featurette, you've got some deleted scenes and a trailer. Then 13 Ghosts is coming out in a double pack on Blu-ray. That's right, you'll get the original William Castle 13 Ghosts from 1960 plus the Dark Castle 2001 reimagining of 13 Ghosts bundled together. 
and the 1960 version actually has a feature and trailer while the 2001 version ports all of the legacy special features from the previous Sony home entertainment release so there's a bunch of featurettes deleted scenes and trailer on there then the last release that I'll talk about this week coming out from Umbrella Entertainment is a re-release of Not Quite Hollywood but it isn't a simple reissue because now it's finally got a 1080p master so despite the previous packaging saying it was 1080p it was really only 1080i sorry international customers now this is a new 1080p master and it's also got some extra special features you've got like an extended interview with Quentin Tarantino talking about Ozploitation films and then you've got a 16 page booklet so if you haven't bought it on blu-ray yet then it's definitely worth upgrading but if you've already got the 1080i version maybe wait for it to go on sale because like uh, you know it's 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 an upgrade but is it necessary probably not anyway that's it for me this week until next time stay physical Well, dude, there are some absolute stinkers out there as well from over the years. So if you would indulge me for a second just to run through a few. Uh, really crap biopics is what I mean. Wired from 1989, the John Belushi story. I've never seen it. I've got it on tape. Now, this is a film that's interesting because I loved it when it was on VHS back in the day. But the older you get and the more you learn about these figures, you realize how bad some of them were like the films and this one was just horrendous like it was not an accurate portrayal and it was um it was disowned by hollywood in general at the time it was made because it didn't make money (laughs) and no before it was made there was a big petition in hollywood to make sure it wasn't made because it was too soon after his death it was really slandering the nature of his death you know like the how do you slander well that was me Someone not who, phrasing who, myself properly. It was the, the relationships he had formed weren't necessarily portrayed accurately and the, right. the people that led him astray, all that kind of stuff. Played very well by Michael Chiklis, though. It was, I think it was his feature film debut. It certainly was. There's an interview with him uh, on YouTube somewhere talking about how this film derailed his career for a long time. You know, like And then he got the commission, everything was okay. <laughs> yeah, but it really hit him hard. Anyway, the next one... Uh, the Three Stooges in 2000, starring <coughs> Michael Chiklis. <laughs> I've actually, I haven't seen it. I've heard it was quite good. I think it was quite good. I, look, I don't think it's very good myself, and it's not got a lot look, of. You don't um, like it as a movie, or you don't like the story that they're trying. I to I don't tell. like either. Actually, I think the what? the movie's made fairly poorly. It's actually produced what? by Mel Gibson, which is interesting. Um, shot entirely in Australia. You got people like Joel Edgerton and Rachel Blake and Helen Delimore in there. But um, right. the I, interesting thing I about do this, like Helen Delimore. you would appreciate that it was directed by James Frawley, Ooh. who made Fraternity Vacation. The classic. <laughs> he also made the Muppet movie. Let's and he's related to Danny Frawley, the football player for St. Kilda. <laughs> and the third doozy that, um, that I used to love as a, is it, as a is kid. Is it Spice World? No, but tell you what, you know, I don't know if that actually counts. That's the second time we've referenced it on this <laughs> yeah. show. Great Balls of Fire from 1989. Oh, I do remember that. Jerry Lee Lewis story with Dennis Quaid. Like I said, as a kid, I loved it. Like it had this fun VHS cover, and I remember being a fun movie. Like there's there's some really inappropriate stuff in there with, with a with a young Winona Ryder. Yeah, and, and it was only PG, it, yeah. but it's pretty heavy. But um, I watched it not too long ago. It does not hold up. Does not. Well. Nope. But anyway, the other one that I remember that came out around that period was Blaze. With Paul Newman and yeah. Lolita Davidich, which is about him, the politician who got yeah. caught with a stripper, and 
I'm assuming at that time it mattered zero percent. <laughs> it's interesting. Like in researching for this episode, I was amazed at how many biopics there are. Like there was no no shortage of you know people, films to pick. But um, let's move on. Let's do our next ones. Do you want to go first? Sure. Now, people who know me <laughs> know that I love a good underdog movie, and I love a thinly veiled excuse for several training montages set to kick ass 70s songs. <laughs> no. And uh, as the internet says, find a girl who can do both. Well, this girl is a 2006 film called Invincible. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, based on the true story of footballer Vince Papali, someone I had never heard of t- before and don't care about to this day, uh, this Disney produced story of Hope stars Mark Wahlberg, mm-hmm. Elizabeth Banks, Greg Kinnear, Kevin Conway, who does one of the greatest, like it's like it is a, a truly ridiculous scene where uh, Mark Wal- he's playing Mark Wahlberg's dad, and Mark Wahlberg like succeeds, like he gets on the team and he scores a touchdown, yep. and they're all in the bar watching, and uh, what's his name? Um, uh, Michael Rispoli is there, mm. but he kind of turns to Kevin Conway and he's like, "That's your son," and <laughs> and uh, and Kevin Conway just kind of nods, and it is possibly some of the worst acting I've like that. <laughs> like, how do you fuck up a nod? But somehow Kevin Conway, who I really like, yep. in general, does. It's just it's an awkward bit of cinema, but I do love this film. Uh, Michael Kelly turns up, and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles sequel, April O'Neil herself, Paige Turco. <laughs> Uh, this, little, was this her next page. film? That was her, yeah. <laughs> and this is basically kind of like a, a rags to riches or yes. amateur to professional uh, kind of story set in the 70s about a down on his luck, divorced and recently unemployed substitute teacher of course. who becomes a professional football player when uh, the new coach of the Philadelphia Eagles uh, opens up yep. uh, tryouts to the, to the Philadelphia at large. And of course, uh, Mark Wahlberg, who is... Probably a good foot shorter than every other player on the team makes it through and uh, carries the hopes of a city uh, on his shoulders. Uh, I equate these movies to similar what you've t- spoken about with the Hallmark movies. You know where they're going, <laughs> but they're fun. Like there's a formula, and I actually several years ago wrote an article about the underdog sort of stories for Screen Realm once again, right. and started with the whole like teacher and you know classroom you know whether it was blackboard dangerous minds blackboard or... jungle right through the dangerous minds like they're all the same you know whether it's a dead pole society or anything and then it moves into the whole sports element where you got the cool runnings you got the miracle you got the you know the one you're talking about and they're all the same we are marshall you know like you know th- yeah. they're all the same but the formula works yeah like and they all have great soundtracks yeah like remember the Titans? Yeah. What a cracker of a soundtrack yeah. that has. This Invincible has a great Coach soundtrack. Carter, well. like they are Coach all, Carter. They are I, all I the same. Coach Carter. They are all the same. Yeah. But and they're good. They're good. They look I mean look, I like a good I like a good formula. I like it when a formula is followed. Yeah. When they stray, I always think the movie suffers. Yeah. Radio uh, being a good example. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> uh, the first time it's the first time I've ever heard anyone mention radio. And like that included, I was working at the video store when it came out, and it sat on the shelf. No one borrowed it. No one even asked, "Hey, is this any good?" And now it's going to be the first letterbox list with radio in it. <laughs> Talk about going full, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, anyway, Invincible is a fantastic film. You can watch it on. Uh, it's a Disney film, funnily enough, so you can watch it on Disney Plus. Yeah. 
Uh, it's probably on iTunes. Come over to my place, have it on DVD, watch it with me. I've got it in multiple formats here. You can <laughs> hang out with us, watch no, Invincible. Another one that you can come over and watch with me has to be um, Man on the Moon, the Milos Foreman film, all about the life of the legendary Milos. Milos. Milos, Milos. About the great Milos. <laughs> about, Milos. about the late great genius Andy Kaufman, as played by Jim Carrey, in a por- in a performance that I would have to describe as transcending. Like this is just one of those all time, you know, great performances in cinema history. I was obsessed with this one when it got released. I saw it theatrically twice, and then like purchased the video the second it came out. Have you seen it? I have indeed. I also saw it theatrically. Yeah, and loved it. it's stunning. Like um. I mean, the, the film itself reflects Kaufman's work and like the brand of humor he has because there's no there's no telling where you know, fact ends and fiction begins, which yeah. is what I really like about it. And they were kind of forced at the start of the film to put on that little prelude that says, you know, what happens here is you know not really true. Yeah. Even though some of it is, so it, it's fantastic. Um, I don't think Jim Carrey's ever been better. And did you see the documentary last year with uh, behind the scenes of this? No, I remember it came out. And I... Jim and Andy, it was called, and it was eerie because it was, and it has to be seen to be believed when but people how good describe is it. Paul Giamatti playing Jim Carrey. Oh, like in that as gag, Bob Zamuda, as Bob Zamuda, oh. and that gag with Tony Clifton where he does the uh, yeah. hey, who wants to see Andy Kaufman? Anyone got a shovel and a flashlight? Like it's a great, <laughs> it's a great bit. But then, let me ask you this, Glenn. Yeah. After you saw this film for the first time, yeah, did you then immediately go home and fuck with the behold on your TV <laughs> just to? <laughs> no, no, but I, I I appreciated that gag so much. So good, and because and the, the network context. <laughs> He's pitching a special to to network executives, and there's a scene where the entire program loses focus, goes staticky for and about then, a minute. And it, it, the V-hold fucks up. Yeah, it literally it, scrolls up yeah, and down on the screen. And, and it's deliberate, and the, the the executives are saying to him, like, why would we do that? And he's like, because it's funny. People will go up to their televisions, and they'll bang, and they'll bang, and they'll bang. Why do we want them to do that? <laughs> and he's like, and they'll think... 400 bucks for this shitty TV and it doesn't even work. <laughs> and they said to him, okay, you can have 30 seconds. And he's like, perfect. That's what we wanted in the first place. Yeah. But then like immediately after he does it, one and like another like assistant comes in, sees the TV rolling, yeah. and goes over and bangs on the TV and goes, Jesus, we run a network. You think we get a TV that could fucking work? It's it such is, a good bit. It is a great film. And um, like I said, that documentary... Unless you've seen it, it's hard to describe, but he was possessed. Like, because he's stating character on and off camera. But the shit that he came up with, and even Kaufman's family was saying that, like, the things he knew that he couldn't possibly know. Like, it was just yeah. his channel in this character. Um, yeah. Incredible stuff. The cast. And uh, how amazing is it that, because he was on, because uh, Kaufman was a, like, um, what's his name? Kafka or, yeah. was that his name? On on Taxi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and they get, Kifka or whatever, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and they got like Tony Danza and Mary Lou Henner and uh, Danny DeVito, all the original well, cast they, of Taxi to come in, even though they're like clearly older, 30 years older or whatever. Well, they almost did because Danny DeVito was already playing the manager the character. Man, yeah. So they decided the only way around that was just to not feature him in that original cast. Right, yeah. But the rest of them are all there. Yeah. And that's one of the bones of contention is that where the fact and the fiction blurs is because apparently on the set of Taxi, he was not problematic like the film puts him out to be, which right. is completely believable too. But but it plays, the, the movie is its own but thing. Who knows if he was like, I mean, what they no one no one really talks like especially then like yeah. no one would say you know such and such was actually an asshole and especially of someone who's dead like he could have been problematic yeah he could have been that's true it's true I know there are some people that don't think he is dead yeah because you know? he did talk before he died he talked about staging his death his death yeah you know? like the ultimate gag wouldn't that be amazing yeah. I think time so much time has passed that no one could be mad at him yeah 
And how good is that? Like even like Norm Macdonald and stuff like <laughs> the cameos. Pat Oswald's in there. Yeah. And what's his name? Um, oh, the guy from we just spoke about him the other week. Tracy Walter is in there as well. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just fantastic. Anyway, um, if you haven't seen Man on the Moon, do yourself a favor. I think it's marvelous. Um, anyway, now it's time to find out what's going on over at Screen Realm. What's going on everybody, it's Guillermo here again from ScreenRealm.com, Australia's favourite entertainment website covering all things movies and television. I say favourite because I'm biased and it's my website. Go check it out if you haven't. ScreenRealm.com, let's kick off some movie news. David Cronenberg is back, he's going to be directing Crimes of the Future, a sci-fi film set to star Viggo Mortensen, Leia Seydoux, Kristen Stewart and Scott Speedman. This is an original sci-fi script by Cronenberg, it's actually his first since 1999's existence. Uh, or is it Existence Z? I've never actually heard that film said out loud, but that's a weird movie. Has anyone seen that film? The film is going to be set in the not-so-distant future where humankind is learning to adapt to synthetic surroundings. As reported by Deadline, this evolution moves humans beyond their natural state and into a metamorphosis, altering their biological makeup. While some embrace the limitless potential of transhumanism, others attempt to police it. Either way, Accelerated Evolution Syndrome, as it's called, is spreading fast. We're going to be following a beloved performance artist named Saul Tenzer, who has embraced the Accelerated Evolution Syndrome, sprouting new and unexpected organs in his body. Along with his partner Caprice, Tenzer has turned the removal of these organs into a spectacle for his loyal followers to marvel at in real-time theatre. But with both the government and a strange subculture taking note, Tenser is forced to consider what would be his most shocking performance of all. Even that plot has body horror written all over it. Can't freaking wait for this. Crimes of the Future by David Cronenberg coming soon. There's going to be a new adaptation of Mary Norton's book series, The Borrowers, which as many will remember was previously adapted into a film in 1997. Peter Rabbit 2, the runaway screenwriter Patrick Burley, is set to write the adaptation and in talks to direct is Conrad Vernon, best known for Sausage Party, Madagascar 3, Europe's Most Wanted and Shrek 2. It's still early on this project, so stay tuned as it comes together. Wonder Woman star Gal Gadot has signed up to both produce and star in a film adaptation of Meet Me in Another Life, the just-published debut novel for Catriona Sylvie. Apparently, there was a bit of a competitive acquisition battle for this one. The plot is going to be telling of two strangers who meet by chance in a foreign city. Despite a tragic accident, they continue to end up in each other's paths through time and space. They become friends, colleagues, lovers, enemies in a plot that's described as a thrilling and imaginative exploration into the many iterations of love and how choice changes everything. It's another one that's quite early, there's still no word on who's going to be directing, stay tuned for more on that one. And the Best International Film Oscar winner Another Round, starring Mads Mikkelsen, has been acquired for a remake already. This one is a potential star vehicle for Leonardo DiCaprio, who will also be producing this film. Even before the film won an Oscar, this was a sought-after project by studios who were looking to capitalize on what is a fantastic film. The picture tells of four high school teachers who consume alcohol on a daily basis just to see how it affects their social and professional lives. It sounds like the kind of test I want to take, but I'm not sure how well it'll go. So DiCaprio will potentially be starring and taking the role played by Mads Mikkelsen. Another round director, Thomas Vinterberg, will be meeting with Leo's production company, Apian Way, but isn't going to be involved as director or writer. Talking to IndieWire, Vinterberg sounded pretty hopeful. He said, I've seen various interpretations of my work before. It's an interesting artistic thing to see something grow into different versions. Now it's in the hands of the finest actor you can get, and besides being a brilliant actor, he's made very intelligent choices throughout his career. I feel there's a lot of integrity in the choices he's made. I'm full of hope and curiosity about what they're up to. 
We've also had some reviews go up on the website. I'm just going to say the titles and what they received out of five stars. Be sure to go to ScreenRom.com reviews to check it all out. Love and Monsters, a Netflix film starring Dylan O'Brien, received four out of five stars. Land, Robin Wright's featured directorial debut, was reviewed by Glenn, who gave it four out of five stars as well. And an artistic little Chilean film called Emma, directed by Pablo Lorraine. Two out of five stars for that one. Go to Screen Room, check out all the reviews. That about does it for me, guys. Thanks so much for having me. Until next week, I'm out of here. That's some weird shit right there. <laughs> Nowhere near as weird as the, the movie that it's from, Ken Russell's Listomania. <laughs> Liz- Listomania. Um, the theatrical poster is batshit crazy too. Um, anyway, that's the song, free song, that comes from the film. And uh, Listomania is the biopic of 19th century composer Frank Liszt. It's, um, it's one of those movies, isn't it? <laughs> Never heard of it. I, yeah, that's yeah. it. Like, I've heard of Roger Daltrey. <laughs> like, I heard of, like, you know, I knew Amadeus. But, the, yeah, yeah, exactly. Like that, one, that one made sense. Yeah, well, it's because I mean, it's all the phallic stuff that's in the poster of that movie. I've got to assume that his life was pretty phallic. Like, you yeah. know, they don't teach that in school. Is it is the poster as phallic as The Little Mermaid? <laughs> <laughs> With the hidden... It's the same. It's the same. <laughs> Uh, and before that, you did have Screen Realm, um, as you heard from Guillermo. So go and visit ScreenRealm.com. Stay up to date with all the things that he talked about. And just for the record, as I mentioned earlier in the show, it's pronounced existence. Existence. Exist- and the word itself is lowercase e, capital X, lowercase isten, uppercase Z. So it's existence emphasis. Yeah, look, that was about, that made about as much sense to me as... Uh... <laughs> On, on Wikipedia when they show you they show you the pronunciation of the words and they've got like the weird symbols and stuff. I don't know what the fuck you're saying. I'm going to go on YouTube and watch somebody actually that say That is it. a fucking great film too, by the way. Okay, any movie that features a, 
a gun made out of teeth, which is one of the most horrifying. <laughs> See, like it is like like I I can handle like gore and and all sorts of stuff, but when when Jude Law just starts pulling, is it Jude Law? It's Jude yeah, Law. Jude Law. He's like yeah, pull, pulls it just like oh, I was going to take out this you know my left or upper teeth. And put them into a gun and make teeth bullets. And but stuff. not only is he putting them into the gun, there's all this slimy flesh around it from this alien creature that he's like dissected and shit. Yeah. And uh. the, the hole. <laughs> all the stuff with the hole on their back and they're like, oh, they're yeah. like sucks the porty like Yeah. <laughs> and they're like massaging it and like, oh God. <laughs> they have to lube it up first. Yeah. Oh. And it looks like it's like it's like that SNL sketch when the, uh, with the uh, clear gravy. And you're like, oh, there's nothing more disgusting than clear gravy. And I think um, Guillermo mentioned the um, the new Cronenberg film, Crimes of the Future. I think one of his very, very first films was Crimes of the Future. Like a short film? 50 Minute or something. Yeah. Right. And um, I don't know if this is like just using the title and or expanded on, but exciting. Yeah. Yes, Ben, we are dishing out the meatloaf in even portions today, and you are very welcome. <laughs> I do love, I do, I do love a bit of meatloaf. It is my favourite part of Rocky Horror Picture Show. And you're like, who wouldn't want to fucking eat meatloaf? <laughs> Not this guy. Well, uh, we have another couple of biopics coming at you, one each. Ben, the microphone is yours. All right, I'm gonna. Once again, people who know me know that I talk way too much about this film. It is 2009's The Blind Side. Oh my God. It's <laughs> practically the same as the last one. It, is, it almost is. It is a, like, I don't know what it is. Like, the movie is about, um, you know, a couple of rich white people who uh, adopt a gigantic black guy and uh, help him become a professional footballer. Yeah. Uh, he's not the sharpest tool in the shed. Well, it's not that he's not, he's not smart. He's, um... He's like he has had like a pretty tough life, and he's yeah. incredibly introvert. Yeah. Um. And it, but it, like it is a really kind of touching movie, and it, it's great. It's it's all about the uh, uh, Michael Orr, who was a who actually was like a professional football player who played mm. for the Baltimore Ravens. Yep. Um. And it does that. Sandra Bullock, uh, Tim McGraw, uh, Lily Collins pops up in it. Kathy Bates, Ray McKinnon, who is one of my favorite American actors, uh, turns up uh, in a in a kind of small part. And like I don't know what it is about Sandra Bullock in this movie. Like she's never played a part like this, no. and she's like, she's like a blonde, well-to-do kind of soccer mum type. Yep. Well, not even not more. She's actually like a. She's not really a soccer mum. She's a professional. She runs a business and not the whole whole lot of it. But I don't know what it is. But uh, I just find her so incredibly appealing in this film, and I watch it probably once every six months. So you'd be happy that she won the Oscar for that one. If she, yeah, I would be happy. Pretty for sure it. she won the Oscar for that. Did you? Yeah, I think so. Do you want to get your phone out? Uh, <laughs> but I'm going to back you up on this one because I think The Blind Side is a great film. But I really think over the years it's it's unfairly been maligned by a lot of people. You know, it kind of cops a lot of ridicule these days. By who? Tell me who it is, and I'll bite them. <laughs> That's not true. I won't bite anyone. I don't know. I just it's just a feeling I get. Uh, <laughs> All right, we're looking it up. Yeah. No, I didn't know that she'd won, but that's that's great. She yeah, does, I mean, I don't know if she did. I don't know. I don't know. Who knows? <laughs> she put on an accent. 
I don't know if that if that uh, makes it. Uh... I don't think she's a particularly great actress in general. Like I don't. I think she's very like um. I don't know. She hasn't got a lot of range, but I do think in this film she really pulled something else out. I mean, yeah. I think range is overrated. To be honest, she's very appealing in every movie she's in, and really that's all you need to be in the kind of movies that she does. Well, there you go. See, I don't think she's appealing in everything she's in. I don't think she's appealing in much that she's in, but in this one she definitely is. I don't know. What, I don't. I don't. I just. I... <laughs> I would rather I would rather watch Kathy Bates step out of that hot tub from about Schmidt than watch Sandra Bullock in most things. I, have you seen while you were sleeping? <laughs> have you seen Speed? Have you seen Kathy Bates in a hot tub? <laughs> I have. I have the gift saved on my phone. Mama got milkshakes. <laughs> I mean, look, I also quite enjoy Jack Nicholson stepping into the hot tub. That's true. In that film. Anyway, are you done? Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, I'm going to I'm gonna sit here in sil- stun silence and think about uh, your San- your knocking of the glorious <laughs> Sandy Bullock. Uh, well, my next choice is... Um, it was nominated for Best Film in uh, 1974. Lenny, the biopic about Lenny Bruce starring D- Dustin Hoffman and Valerie Perrine. And um, you will love the fact there are lots of boobs in this one. Yes, I don't know. I don't know what you're talking about. I just said I love Sandra Bullock. She does not get her boobs out in anything. <laughs> no, but Valerie certainly does. No. This one was directed by Bob Fosse, who is famous for all that jazz and cabaret, amongst many other sort of show showy kind of films. Uh, even like with Dustin Hoffman and its very accolades, this is a film that also I think has sort of fallen off a lot of people's radars over the years. It's sort of maybe it's because it's a little bit on the fringe and a little bit arthousey because it was black and white, told a very sort of bohemian kind of story. Uh, about Lenny Bruce. It's not super readily available. Like, and it didn't it's play, now on Stan. This it's is now on Stan. It this didn't play on TV it. a lot. I remember watching it a long time ago and then trying to find it over the years, yeah. not being able to, or you find it for $200 on DVD somewhere and just, it's not, you know, it's not worth that. Yeah. But Stan had just put it up with a whole lot of other things, including cruising, that kind of, you know, film from that era. It's beautiful. Like, this is a great film. And if you know the story of Lenny Bruce, much like, Andy Kaufman with Man on the Moon. He was a pioneer. He was um, a much more important figure because he was all about free speech and he was about. I was going to say he's a pioneer of dirty talk. <laughs> well, yes and no. Like I think that's the misconception though, because it wasn't that he was into blue humor and dirty talk so much as that he was weaponizing language. Hmm. He was really taking the the sting out of bad words and you know and shining a light on the fact that people are being arrested for well, it was saying, the hypocrisy of it. Yeah, for saying things like fuck and shit when, you know, there's murder happening down the street, there's rape, you know, all yeah. this kind of stuff. And there's some great, powerful moments in this where he's, you know, using uh, racial slurs and taking the power out of them, you know. And it's just, it's offensive on the surface and then when you just go with it, you really see what he's doing and the cogs are turning. And anyway. I've been recently watching a lot of uh, Lenny Bruce stuff. Yeah. But on, because he's in the marvelous mrs Maisel. he is and it, and he's great like i that love guy him in great. that he is and that and he he's probably the closest in appearance they've gotten to a lenny bruce right. actor um but dustin hoffman is good like i think he's really good and there are moments particularly in the latter years of his life where he's sort of got more of a frizzy hair as opposed to a slicked you know brill creamed hair where he really looks like lenny um lenny bruce and a lot of the monologues are taken from real monologues so it's you know quite yeah. accurate and all that kind of stuff but um Anyway, just like I said, nudity galore. So there's your ticket into that one, my friend. And now that I know that it's on Stan... It is. Um, yeah, and if this film piques your curiosity outside of Australia, in America it's on Prime, 
and in the UK, it's on Apple TV and Amazon. Um, anyway, speaking of America, it's time for the Boneheads. Uh, in fact, their, their segment this week is the reason we did this show. It is indeed. So we're talking about biopics because, <laughs> because we had a bunch of their segments banked up and we've used most of them and um, we threw a dart at the rest, <laughs> landed on biopics and thought, okay, we'll just do a show on biopics that way. Why not? Good idea. And I've just gone and spoiled it. Yeah, you just you you literally have shown people how the sausage is made. <laughs> then they can see they can see all the hoof and all the mane and the teeth and all of the gross bits, the intestines and the testicles and the stuff that goes into the sausage and right. give it served it up onto a plate. Hey, welcome to Bonehead Weekly Fun Size. Today we're gonna tell you about the biopics that we wish we had. Who wants to go first? Jed, you go first. Okay, <laughs> I'll go, go first. No, Jed. why don't you cut yourselves? No, so I'll go first. So, you know, one of my favorite movies of all time is Ed Wood. And to be honest with you, it's not all accurate. But um, there's one Hollywood legend that has not had a biopic. And for the life of me, I don't know why. And that would be Arch Hall Sr. I would love to see a movie. <laughs> I thought you were going to based... say Roger Corman. Nope. I would love to see a movie based on Arch Hall Sr. If you don't know who Arch Hall Sr. is... He is a uh, B movie, you know, it's not even B, it's C and D movie uh, icon from the uh, 60s and 70s. Uh, he produced movie, he produced movies such as Ega. Uh, I would love to hear, so he's actually a Native American. With uh, another he, guy named Arch Hall Jr. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not uh, and at he's all the, affiliated, I am sure. They're and the he is the father of Arch. bitches. Yeah, he is the father, father of Arch Hall Jr. But I would just love to see the, a movie made about how he made these horrible movies. And more importantly, his whole business was he would drive from drive, drive in to drive in selling his movies. And there are some crazy stories about him selling these movies to these drive in theaters. I would love to see a movie based on him. Well, I, and you now you've gave me too, because uh, the man with kaleidoscope eyes, or no, the man with uh, x ray eyes. The Roger Corman movie has been written several times. Joe Dante has almost directed it, what, a half a dozen times? Yeah. We've never gotten a Roger Corman biopic. I'd love to see that. I'd love to see that. Uh, the second one, I actually was, this, there's a, this is actually historical. The, I've been delving back into Kubrick again for some odd reason. And Kubrick's big vision, his big movie that he always wanted to do, Oh my God, I forgot the guy. Napoleon. Why can't I think of Napoleon's name? Oh my God, I forgot Napoleon's name. I, I would love to have seen his Napoleon I, or someone's Napoleon. Now, I, I understand there have been Is it because your mom went to college? There's been several of Napoleon films, but none of them, thank you for that reference, none of them would have been as detailed and as thorough as kubrick's and i find it interesting i wonder now kubrick was still alive and netflix was still a thing or netflix is a thing if he would have been able to because it was always hard trying to compress that into a three-hour film napoleon's life from beginning to end what you hit if he couldn't have done something fantastic with netflix and their unlimited money i would have loved to have seen that as like a limited series about napoleon and his life I am I'm going to do a sports film and then people don't associate me with sports, but I would love to see we have all sorts of depression era baseball films. We have all sorts of individual. There's one James can story, play highlight like a some bitch. There's one story there's like a half a dozen episodes of that, Mad Man about highlight that I want to be told that hasn't been told for film. We have a couple films about the African-American leagues and things like that, but we do not have the story of the all-ugly league. 
for those that don't know, this this involved the um, there was finally a, James got picked in the first round. There was a player named John Oscar uh, Dixus. However, his name was mispronounced once as John Oscar Dickshot. And Dickshot, he legally had his entire family change their name to Dickshot because he thought that was a better name. He had been beat up as a child and put into a coma for three days, making him the ugliest baseball player of the time. And he played to that strength, played in the minors, the majors, uh, had home runs in the majors, played in the depression, and he would have to work at a steel mill during the uh, off season to support his family. James, we do this show in a depression all the time. You're not convincing me of anything. Now, that being said, he didn't die until 1997. He lived a very long life. And when he got out of baseball, he opened a tavern called Dick Shots Dugout. I want the story of this man and the team that he formed, the All Ugly League, needs to be told as a film. There's a great story there that hasn't been told. That's the sports film we need to see, not another story about, you know, somebody getting out of trouble. Give me that story. And it's been Bonehead Weekly Fun Size. Thank you, James, for making me have to go back and edit. (laughs) Sorry. Thank you, Boneheads. You know, Ben... I thought Napoleon's story was already told in uh, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. That's the only Napoleon I care about. Exactly. Um, actually, 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 an obligatory um, Albert Pune side note here, if you would uh, indulge me uh, before we... Hang uh, on. <laughs> He's never been mentioned on this show before. Uh, bef- before he got like frail, um, one of his passion projects was uh, a Napoleon biopic believe it or not, of all things. Right. And um, that's an odd thought as far as I'm concerned. But several years ago, I had the privilege of reading several of his scripts that had not been made yet. And I got to proofread the Napoleon script, which was actually the most non-Albert Pune thing I've ever read that was actually a historical biopic. Right. I don't know how accurate or what because I don't know Napoleon's life enough, but I'll tell you what, it was a banger of a read. Right. Because he gave me that one to read as well as um, Algiers, which was like a historical story about Algiers. And <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Right. These are films that I, I guess he knew he'd never make, but he wrote These them. like passion projects. Yeah. Do. Have you ever seen The Emperor's New Clothes with Ian Holm? Yes. Which oh, is my like goodness. A, I mean, it's not quite a biopic. It's yeah. like an alternate history yeah. kind of film, which is like I, I saw it at Myth whatever year it came out. Yeah. And it's all about like Napoleon escaping from New Caledonia. That's right. But no one believing who he is. <laughs> and he ends up hooking up with, I think Ivan Benji from High Fidelity. He... And he becomes uh, like, he runs like she runs, she's got like a fruit cart or a vegetable cart. And then he turns that into this empire. Oh, of, mate. Of, uh... I just remember vision of in homes running around in like Long John's or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cause he's, yeah. He's just basically like a, yeah. kind of, they think he's just a crazy old man. Yeah. Oh, yes, I do remember it, but I, yeah, no, in, in like recollection, I don't remember it being Napoleon. I just remember it being yeah. a crazy man. But anyway, um, I digress. Um, Google Bonehead Weekly, everybody, if you like what you heard, if you want to hear their full show, they've got, they've got a show on the Project Louder Network and practically anywhere you get your podcast from. Hey guys, it's Adam here from Adam's Just Seen with another Good Movie Monday recommendation. This week we are doing biopics. My pick 
is Cinderella Man. Now you might be rolling your eyes, you might be scoffing. You might have even seen this upon release and dismissed it. Go back and check it out. I believe that pound for pound, Cinderella Man is the best boxing movie that has ever been made. Now, that's gonna be absolute heresy to a lot of people because of Raging Bull. Now, I worship at the altar of Martin Scorsese, but as a character study, I think that that movie is borderline unparalleled. But if you want to be put in the ring, and if you want to be hurt, Ron Howard is doing things here as a director that I have never seen. The boxing scenes here are absolutely brutal. Um, I think that, you know, the boxing scenes in Ryan Coogler's Creed are incredible as well, but this even surpasses that. This is the story of James J. Braddock, a boxer that had an opportunity got injured, was down on his luck, and then got another shot at the title. Now, if that sounds formulaic to you, it is. And, you know, with Thomas Newman's score, and, you know, with Howard's directing, it, this is definitely that kind of, like, you know, Oscar bait drama film, but done to perfection. There is something soaring about this that I just cannot get away from. Every time I put it on, I just get so swept up in it. I think the craft is impeccable. It's not a very well-kept secret that Crow is my favorite actor, and I think that when Crow is on, that he is borderline unparalleled in cinematic history in making you believe what his character is going through, and he here channels something in Braddock that is just mind-blowing. I remember that when this was released that Roger Ebert said that one of the hardest things that an actor can do is just play a genuinely good person because there's no shading. What do you do with that? And he said here that Crow is obviously one of the greatest actors to live because of what he gives us here in this movie. Paul Giamatti offers mind-blowing support in his corner and basically revs you up every single time that he steps into the ring. So if you haven't seen this or you did see it and you dismissed it, honestly, revisit it. I have seen this movie straight up 20 times. I cannot get enough of it. And I just think that it is a gorgeous movie with incredible craft and just does what all the best movies does. It makes you feel. So five stars from me. Check it out ASAP. And thank you to Adam. Cinderella Man's a pretty good one. I enjoy that one. I love it. And what I love most about it is that the guy, and I don't know if <laughs> I haven't listened to his review yet. I don't know if he mentions it, but the guy who who uh, who uh, Russell Crowe fights in it, Max Bear, he's the father of Max Bear Jr., yeah. who would go on to fame by playing... Um, uh, one of the Clampets, like he's now I can't remember his name. Buddy, what's the idiot? Buddy Hackett? Jethro. He's Jethro. Is it Buddy in... Hackett? No, 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 no. It's Max Bear Junior. Plays oh, Jethro, right. Clampett in yeah. the Beverly Hillbillies. <laughs> That's and his dad was gotcha. And for a while, just a little, little, little on the side. For a while, he was going out with Christy Canyon, the porn star, and his thing was that he liked to watch her have sex with other men. He didn't actually like to have sex with her. He just liked to watch her do it. That's a little. That's in Christy Canyon's autobiography. That's a little. Just a little bit of trivia for you there. If you you're into your porn star trivia, okay, no, or your Beverly Hillbillies trivia, <laughs> much more likely. Yeah. Petticoat Junction. Ding, ding, no, ding. That's where it's at. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Green Acres. Okay, Doc. Let's uh, let's bring it home with another one each. Um, I was almost going to do Mank, um, so I'm glad that you went with um, Arkeo earlier on. Um, so I chose a different one instead. I, th I thought Mank was just a little bit too obvious, you know, because it's recent Oscars, all that kind of stuff. I really did not care for it. I found it to be incredibly boring. I liked it a lot, but um, I do... <laughs> no, I appreciate that completely. Like, you know, it's, it's the same with 32 short films about Glenn Gould. It's the same thing. Like, you know, you're either really into it or you just... You know, 
just like it's just a lot of uh, whoever it is in bed <laughs> getting drunk. <laughs> All right, so scrap that. What I did do is um, Richard Jewell. Oh, okay. Clint Eastwood. I love this film. Another film that a lot of people have, you know, slandered and dissed and spoken about how bad it is, and I don't really? understand any of that. I don't see how that's a thing. It is a, an amazing performance by Paul Walter Hauser, who you might know from Itonia, funniest thing in Itonia. Remember, he, have you seen that? He plays yeah. the fat friend. That is it. actually oh. one of my favourite biopics of all time, Itonia. Excellent. Well, why didn't you pick that one? Didn't think of it. <laughs> well, he always, plays, of it. he always plays the same character in this one. Uh, it must be also said he's fantastic in Cobra Kai. <laughs> <laughs> he's great. He's pretty good in everything. Like he's he's great in Black Klansman as well. Yeah. So Klansman. Speaking of Mama bringing her milkshakes, Kathy Bates in this one. Um, Olivia Wilde, John Hamm, and Sam Rockwell. It's a good cast. It certainly is. And here, yeah, it is. It is a. It's a pretty good film. Like I do understand why. I think I actually. No, I kind of do understand why some people don't like it because it is a bit. Like there's no real tension in the court proceedings. Like they're all, they're all against him and stuff. And yeah. thinking, but there's never really a point where they have enough real actual evidence or no. anything to, to for it to have that kind of. You're correct. You know tension. But you know where I came from was I was more invested in the emotional taxing yeah. you know thing that was going on there. Like particularly Kathy Bates's like monologue yeah. and stuff like that. The 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 emotional tax it took on them, you know, being beaten into submission, being, you know, it's just, it's a yeah. really like, for me, it was gut wrenching. I really, you know, I was gutted by this. Film. But it is a, a really great example of the media jumping to conclusion and like trial by media Bloody rather oath. than trial by any kind of, yeah. you know, fact or evidence. And if you don't know who Richard Jewell is, he's the security guard that was, you know, suspected of being a domestic terrorist after the bomb went off at the Atlanta Olympics in 1996. Um, but what a performance. Like, this guy kind of came from nowhere. Like, mm. I, I had not heard of him before, I told you. In fact, I, I still didn't know who he was when Richard Jewell came around. And suddenly, like, I, I'd, I'd love to watch him in more things. But um, whether he has range is another question because he seems to play the same character. Same character. But, I, like, I like that character, so... Yeah, and I love, Clint, I love Clint Eastwood. I think he's, you know, just... There's no stopping him, man. He's in his 90s and he's still going. Still going strong. He has a new one coming out in October called Cry Macho. Yeah. Which apparently is a passion project he's been trying to make for decades. I have no idea what it's about. Right. Yes, anyway. <laughs> well, now, can... that he's, you know, now that he's, his daughter has had a reality show, <laughs> Scott Eastwood is popping up in bloody everything. He doesn't need yeah. to leave any of his money to his kids. That's true. He can just... Pay for it himself. Make, yeah. his, make his passion. Well, one of his daughters makes movies with Shane Ryan, friend of FakeChamp.net and Good Movie Monday. So, oh, really? Yes. Um, they've made a couple of movies together. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. There you are. Anyway, would you like to um, to cap it off with your final choice oh, for the my, show? All right. My last one is from 2010. It is David O. Russell's The Fighter. Oh, yeah. That's, one, a, that's a good one. It's a good film. Once again, with uh, Mark Wahlberg, who is... Like I never would have thought that Mark Wahlberg was going to be one of my favorite actors, mm. but he he's and he's in a surprising amount of biopics. Yeah, funnily Patriot Day, Patriot Day, the Deepwater Horizon. Or How good it is. was that? Um, um, oh, what was that called? Was that Deepwater Horizon? I think it's Deepwater Horizon. It's great. Um, John Malkovich. Yeah, John Malkovich is the <laughs> sleazy bad guy. It's great. <laughs> he's great as a sleaze. He sure is. Um, but this movie is all about a a kind of a. A broken, de- he's not a broken down. He's a never was kind of boxer who's been living under the shadow of his older brother who once fought like Smokey Joe Frazier or someone like a, yeah, like a, you know, one of the big kind of legends of boxing. And then 
after that fight pretty much descended into a kind of life of addiction. He was like a crack cocaine addict and stuff and yep. was constantly derailing his brother's attempts at um, at uh, kind of making his own mark in, in, in boxing. Um, who else is in it? Uh, Chris, so it's Christian Bale is, is, the, is the brother, Mark Wahlberg. Amy Adams tops, pops up. Yep. Um, I can't remember her. I can never remember her name, but she's in everything at the moment. Um, plays his mum and she's great. Uh, I've done my research for the show. Uh, <laughs> He's going to regret that later. <laughs> That's my catchphrase. I've uh, done my research for the show. Melissa Leo plays oh, his mum. Yeah. She's fantastic. She's good in everything. She was amazing in that um, I'm Dying Up Here TV show that got cancelled after two seasons. Yeah, she's fantastic. Oh. I didn't know that it had been cancelled. Yes. But then this just this morning I was surprised by season 2 of the of uh, Warrior, <laughs> which is a great <laughs> yeah. uh, TV show that I, re- I really love and I was like, hang on a second. I was on <laughs> surfing through binge going, is there a new episode to this? <laughs> and it's like an, not just a new episode, an entire season. Wow. So, uh, you know, and that's got um, what's her name in it? Um, he's one of the main kind of Villains or one of the main characters is the guy who played Sub Zero in um, Mortal Kombat. There you go. So we're just tying tying everything back to last week's show. Fantastic. I think we are down to the hard edged bits of the meatloaf that need that little bit of extra gravy to. To get it down. I love the crusty bits. (laughs) You would have enjoyed that. Like I like to scrape, you know, you just scrape it with a knife out of the out of the (laughs) baking dish. Really get it, really dig in there, and it's like super chewy, and you kind of you maybe maybe you do, maybe you don't lose a tooth in it. Amazing. Well, that does signal the end of the show, and a reminder: go and check out our letterbox. Ben has that all set up and ready to go. Got your work cut out for you this week, Ben. We talked about a few too many films for my liking. <laughs> You're not the one that has to write them down as he edits. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I just have to retype them all. Uh, later um, please all keep up with our social media because um, we've been throwing stuff left, right, and center out on that, including prize giveaways. Um, we've moved them from the show onto the platform, so check it out. Um, lots of new content, trivia, throwbacks, all that kind of stuff. Plus, don't forget our midweek videos. Uh, find them on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter. Have fun doing those. Got some good ones coming up for you, including a, uh, a a reaction to Wrath of Man, the new Guy Ritchie film, which I'm looking forward to. Thanks to all that are involved on the show, Jarrett Gemmo, Adam, Joe, Chad, James, and a very special thank you to Tia, who is uh, helping us behind the scenes in our social media lately. Thank you, Ben. Got any final words before we leave? Uh, new. <laughs> Excellent. Well, to take us out, here is a song from the 2001 movie, Too Legit, the MC Hammer story. <laughs> Not really. <laughs> Not really. <laughs> That'd be awesome. <laughs> oh. I thought you were going to say it like you... <laughs> because that film doesn't actually have any yeah, good MC Hammer yeah. music in it. <laughs> no. I thought you were going to say Too Legit from the Adams Family because that's they're real. <laughs> well, how about we go with um, Go Wild in the Country by Bow Wow Wow from the uh, Worried About the Boy film, which was a 2010 biopic about the life of Boy George. <laughs> they got Bow Wow Wow music in there. I, love, I mean, I love Bow Wow Wow. There's vir- I want candy. There's virtually no Culture Club music in that film at all. Yeah. They can never, that's always the problem is the cost of the licensing. It's like the upcoming uh, David Bowie film that they've made, the Ziggy Stardust one. It's got no the only Bowie two Bowie songs in it are covers that he did in the 70s. Jeez. 
Anyway, have a great week, everyone. We'll see you next time. Research for the show. <laughs> uh, the, 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 the research for the show.